Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to let you know, we have two copies to give away of Nick's book, Cadence and Slang. They are $50 each, and he's willing to sign them, which at least adds a million dollars to their value. Go to bleedingink.fm to enter today. Giveaways end two weeks after an episode's published. Good luck. There is, there is nothing to writing. All you do is sit down at a typewriter and bleed and bleed and bleed. What's this? Bleeding Ink, a podcast for indie authors with J.S. Leonard. Welcome to episode seven of Bleeding Ink, a show where I, J.S. Leonard, interview remarkable authors and related creatives and help you achieve publishing success. Tune in every other week and be sure to visit bleedingink.fm to subscribe to the show, receive tools, tips, and updates for all your author needs. It's available on iTunes and Stitcher. And hey, one thing that a podcast needs is great reviews. If you love the show, please go review it. It'd be awesome. So my guest today, Nick DeSabado, is a renaissance man. He possesses a varied skill set authors envy. He can write well, design well, organize well, and get shit done. He crafted with unattended Nick Only Hands his book Cadence and Slang, a delightful guide that instills tenets of interaction design as a strunker white might have. Self-publishing just made sense for him. Why would he consider a publisher when Mr. DeSabado could accomplish 95% of the task unaided? He didn't. And to date, he's raked in $48,000 in sales from the eloquent CNS. That's how us cool kids mentioned Cadence and Slang. Would do it different today? Maybe. Depending on how a publisher might promote his name and how that name might climb a respected list in New York, then yeah, maybe I'd choose to use a publisher. I'm paraphrasing. We explore the struggle in this interview. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. First off, Nick, how you doing today? Doing great. How are you? Really good. Thank you. Um, and uh, Nick, go ahead and tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, for people that may not know who you are. Mm-hmm. Sure. So my name is Nick DeSavado. I go by Nick D on the internet and elsewhere. I uh, run an interaction design consultancy called Draft. I wrote a book about my field called Cadence and Sling in 2009 and uh, reissued a second edition in 2013. It was one of the first projects ever published on Kickstarter. Uh, Since then, I've run two other successful projects, one of which was for the second edition. And uh, yeah, I do interaction design for a variety of clients. It's been really great. So what got you into writing in the first place? Um, I've always written in some capacity. I had a blog in 1998, which I guess was a time when there were very few blogs. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wrote a lot in college. I wrote a lot in graduate school. I have considered writing and effective communication a core part of my design practice, my creative practice, my my life, really. I, I love communicating to people. I love communicating my ideas and opinions to people and trying to synthesize the world in a way that's legible to them. Mm-hmm. So when you, um, you know, decided to write Cadence and Slang, what, what spurred that? What, why did you write that book? Uh, I wrote it. I wrote it because I didn't really see a book like this out there at the time. And mm-hmm. I wanted to write the kind of book that I needed as a introductory UI designer. Um, there was not a, uh, how to guide with comparatively evergreen principles. There were many how to guides that were like how to code in HTML 4.01. Well, great. 4.02 comes out and you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, or how to use a specific software tool. There were lots of um, more general design how to's, but they came with a very strong point of view and they didn't really synthesize a wide range of perspectives. Um, my point of view is on display in Cadence and Sling, but only if you really read between the lines on it. I don't uh, really chest beat about it a whole lot. And that's very unlike quite a lot of designers. So a lot of people take it and um, I think a lot of the value that they get out of it is all the things that I cite in it. Uh, I mentioned tons and tons of other books that influenced me. um, And I'm able to kind of synthesize all of that into a broader point about um, how design works and make that legible to comparative novices. Mm-hmm. When you were first approaching, you know, writing the book, like when I was 
when I actually read it, I actually read it recently. You sent me a copy, and thank you so much. Um, I, you know, I, as a you know, being coming from a UI UX background as well, you know, me being in the writer and also doing those things, you know, I, I found the book to be quite, quite good. But what I, what I what I liked about it uh, quite a bit was it has this sort of like strunked and white elements of style feel to it, where it's just like very basic rudimentary rules, right? That you should just follow and it's clear and concise. What, why did you structure it that way? Or, or did you even think about it that way when you were approaching it? It's very similar to how Strunk works. Yeah. Um, and I read Strunk and White as one of the books in the lit review I did before the book. Um, the most similar book it's to in terms of format and layout is called The Elements of Typographic Style by mm-hmm. Robert Bringhurst. Yeah. And it looks... He was influenced by Strunk, but his book looks nothing like Strunk. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's a book about design, but a book about typography in particular, and a book about letter forms in specific. Mm-hmm. Um, so it works in a very different way than Cadence and Slang. Right. Um, Cadence and Slang is a set of rules, and, and a large part of that is because um, rules constrain a project and constraints help a project because they help give it shape and form. Yeah. If you look at... Uh, book called uh, A Pattern Language by Christopher Alexander. He was an architect. Mm-hmm. Yep. It uh, basically states, okay, here are a bunch of different, what he calls design patterns that you can do for a house. And they can be um, thick walls is one of them. So you can have someplace to sit on like a ledge, mm-hmm. uh, someplace to insulate effectively. Um, he denotes a place for how to, uh, a, a method for how to put chairs in a house. Um he states how houses should be organized and how large they should be and how they should mix with commercial properties. And all of these things are architecture issues, but they're also urban planning issues. They're also usability issues. They're human factor and ergonomic issues. And he believed that that all kind of blended into a holistic package. Um, Keynes and Slang functions in much the same way where I talk about ethnography, I talk about customer service, I talk about uh, how to run a business effectively very briefly. Mm-hmm. And all of those things have ramifications on what the final design of a product is. Because when you make a design decision, you're making effectively a political decision about how your product communicates to people. Mm-hmm. Had you written a book before or was this your first book? This was my first book. And when you decided to write it, how did you go about preparing to write this book? Like, Did you start reading a bunch of books on writing? Did you have any influences? How, how did that work? I lose to that in the lit review part of this, but I read several dozen books about design and writing mm-hmm. and book design, uh, which affected the final layout of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, was influenced by quite a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can tell that the side notes throughout the book. Uh, um, and it's, um, it's something that I'm very careful to make light of. Um, to, or to shed light on, I should say. Sure. It's something that, um, you, you know, it's Cadence and Slang is not the world's only design book. It's a good de- design book. I'm very proud of it. It's sold quite well. People claim to be influenced by it, but it's part of a conversation and you have to s- situate yourself in that conversation. In order to do that, you have to know what the conversation looks like. So I went out there, read a lot of books about tech wise design. I read books about architecture like Christopher Alexander. Mm-hmm. I read books about fine art, um, mm-hmm. about industrial design, uh, about ergonomics and human factors, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because that all, it's never going to hurt you to read too much, right? Sure. Yeah. You're, you shouldn't regret <laughs> having read this book. It's time and effort. Um, and maybe you can regret the loss of time, but you've learned something, hopefully. Sure. Now, being an experienced designer and having written, some, you know, written a book, do, have you ever thought about writing like fiction or narrative? Uh, not a whole lot. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My partner's a poet and I typeset her work, but that's about it. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So let's take that. So your, your partner's a poet and uh, do you see any like parallels between designing experiences and also just des- like architecting or designing narratives uh, in a way? So you're typesetting for her. Can you see how some of the principles you've uh, you know, worked with or come up with and, and studied for Cadence and Slang and how, how it could apply to say her work? Uh, definitely in terms of the typography and layout. I think mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, you're using the same brain in service of that and you're using the same ideas. Like, I, I think that knowledge is accretive, so I'm able to, to take that and typeset poetry, which is notoriously finicky and, mm-hmm. and do well by that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Interesting. 
So what was your greatest struggle with uh, writing Cadence and Sling? Um, man, uh, finding a printer mm. was a huge pain in 2009, man. Yeah. Nobody took self-publishers seriously. Yeah, that's true. Uh, now they do. Yeah. Because there's so many of us and they're, you know, they need us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they used to not need us and they used to view us as uh, incompetent, um, unwilling to learn, um, too finicky, basically too much work for the amount of money that they'd be getting on the project. Mm-hmm. And I get it. Yeah. I went through over 20 printers before I found one that, that respected me. And I didn't even take the cheapest quote. I took wow. the one that respected me. I took the one that, that truly took an interest in what I was doing and was willing to teach me and shepherd me through the process. Uh-huh. And now that I've done that, I'm super hands off and I've given them another, what, 20 grand worth of work? Like, yeah. Yeah. no, more than 20 grand. I've given them like 35 grand worth of work. What was your, uh, what was your initial order for? Like what, when you were quoting it, what, what were you asking? Like, I asked for a thousand copies. Mm-hmm. I asked for a second quote for 2000 copies to see what the overage would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's uh, roughly a six by eight inch uh, offset printed hardcover foil stamped cloth bound book. Mm-hmm. Um, the cost per copy is about seven fifty. I've charged for a while. I charged forty. I've since hiked the price to fifty. Mm-hmm. That comes with a PDF download of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and 50 sounds like a lot for a book of those parameters. But if you think about it from the position of a designer or a freelancer, that's a half hour of your work. If I save mm-hmm. you a half hour of time, it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. That's how it's still managed to sell a lot of books. I position it against that and that upside. Mm-hmm. I think it's very beneficial. And there's no book that's like it still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's been true. out for six years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. How many books have you sold, if you don't mind me asking? Over three thousand. Yeah, that's great. Around that price range, right? That forty to fifty dollar price range. The cheapest one is forty. Yeah. There's PDFs for thirty five. I don't even count them in sales. In fact, if they sell, the only way I know is I get a push notification on my phone for my credit card processor. Like I have no way to know. Yeah, it's nice. I don't little, even get emails or anything. Like, yeah. Nice little side income there. <laughs> nice it's little, good. Uh, um, still only about. 15 to 18% of my total sales because people really like the physical copy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually very surprised at, at, I'm not surprised actually, but at how people love the tangible book, they still want it. They, they don't want the, uh, they don't want just digital. And it, it blows me away that, you know, you're thinking, you think, you think when you enter self-publishing, um, you know, that eBooks are, are, are what everyone wants nowadays. And, and it's not true. I, you know, I've sold quite a few physical books and um, that really surprised me. Can I go on a rant for a moment? Absolutely. I'm going to go on a rant for a moment. I feel like Amazon strategically dropped the ball on Kindle for a variety of reasons. And, and it sounds crazy because people are still clearly buying Kindle books. I'm sure many of the listeners out there are uh, huge Kindle readers. Sure. What do you mean by drop the ball? Um, several things. Okay. Uh, number one, it is very, very hard from a UX standpoint and from a workflow standpoint to load non-Kindle books onto a Kindle. True. So, uh, you know, if you don't sell through Kindle, GTFO. If mm-hmm. you want to load Cadence and Slang's PDF on a Kindle, and no, I'm not making a Kindle edition, so sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to load the PDF on, you can, and it looks like garbage. Mm-hmm. So you can put it on an iPad, but then you're on an iPad and it's bright. So the, the e-ink is terrific. I want to be very clear. Like the form factor of the device is great. Having a touch-based device that's cheap, has unlimited data access, and e-ink is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're competing with a 300 DPI, roughly, interface that has really bad typography. Like even their improvements in typography are bad typography. Mm-hmm. And books that you download that aren't typeset effectively for the Kindle, where they literally just copied and pasted a Microsoft Word document into a Mobi file, that's half the books on the Kindle store. Um, you're competing with 2,500 DPI and up offset printing. Mm-hmm. You're competing with somebody who literally typeset a book specifically for that form. And people notice People mm-hmm. notice all of these things. They don't Absolutely. complain about it. But as somebody who has a very significant vested interest in making sure his book is as great as it possibly can be in every format imaginable, you know, it took me six months of on and off work to typeset Cadence and Slang again for PDF. 
Right. And you've done quite the job. I'm, I'm very impressed. Um, cause you did, this was, this was a solo project, right? You I mean, you did pretty much everything except for printing yourself. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. Which is why it took six months. Cause I was doing my job at the yeah. same time and like thinking about my next project at the same time while people were, that was the number one request was Kindle. And the number two request was ebook. And well, Kindle's a kind of ebook, so I get it. But like, there is no way to take. Look at the. You have a physical copy of Cadence. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at it right now. How could you take the layout of that book and cram it into Kindle's form factor? Yeah, no, it wouldn't. It would not work. It would not it would work. Not. So, like, there are so many types of book that are not well suited to Kindle, and design and art are one of them. That's um, very true. Like. Trade paperbacks, sure. I got your book. It's great. I'm I'm reading it right now. It's um, but it would work in a Kindle format because it's mm-hmm. literally a brick of text. Sure. There is there are no illustrations. There's some chapter headings. That's it. Yep. And that's not to say that your book is any better or worse than mine. It's doing a different thing. Sure. Sure. So I, I feel like Kindle. There is so much untapped possibility in it, and I just care mad about it. Like, mm-hmm. it just kills me. It totally kills me to see so, this happening. So, Nick, how do you think they could make it better? I mean, what product would 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 fulfill your requirements for for bringing you know Kitty's slang into a digital format that did it justice? Let's say Jeff Bezos and I were talking right now. Let's say you were Jeff Bezos. Okay, I'm Jeff Hor- Bezos. That's horrifying. What's up, Nick? It's nice to meet you. Okay, great. <laughs> Um, and you asked me, what, what do I need to do to make the Kindle something that is worthy of cadence and stuff? Um, and I would suggest several things. I would suggest more uh, changing Amazon's sales delivery platform into more of an iTunes store model, okay. uh, where I can post a PDF and it just shows up. I would suggest overhauling the typography engine of the Kindle wholesale. And I know that they just did this. It is, they just added fonts and changed the letting. Like that's it. It's not, that's not what I'm talking about by an overhaul. I mean, you need to like rewrite your justification engine. I mean, you need to rewrite your pagination engine, your Mm -hmm. hyphenation system. You Mm -hmm. need to make sure that quotation marks and dashes show up correctly. And if they don't, then you need to find a way, this is the next step, to reach out to publishers and make sure that they're doing Kindle books correctly. Mm-hmm. Because the big, however many publishers now, it was six, now it's five, I think, they were merged or something. Um, whoever, it, it is, whoever, yeah. Whomever's yeah. making eBooks is dropping the ball on their end. And it's just, they're not doing it with any sensitivity to typography. They put in dumb quotes and hyphens for dashes. Yep. And it's like, what year is this? Yeah. You could find and replace that. Apple does it automatically on OS ten. Like yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm mystified by why that isn't happening. So those are all of the things I I think like and, and then I think the last one is being more flexible to larger layouts. And that might require making a larger model of Kindle on the order of like a full sized iPad. Again, I know sure. they use that I but like most of the Kindles being sold right now are kind of iPad mini sized. Um and those are great for trade paperbacks, but they're terrible for photography books, design mm. books. Um you could get the Kindle Fire, like the tablet, but who wants to load a design book on that? The resolution is dismal. It's only 350 DPI. Mm-hmm. So you would need to find a way to increase the DPI. That would be another major recommendation. And I know that there have been huge increases in that in the past five or six years with retina displays and new Kindle layouts. And um, and that's great as somebody who wears glasses because he stared at a computer too much and now has like merciful uh, respite from that. But like it's, <laughs> it's still not enough. Right. They need to overhaul display technology. And I know that's... It's easy for me to just be in my armchair and be like, you kids, merp. And then, you know, whomever's actually trying to overhaul the display technology is probably puking bile hearing about this. Yeah. Um, and I get it. Like, it's not easy. But, um, but that's what needs to be done if you're mm. going to have a good reading experience on, on, on all these devices. And it'll catch up. In five or six years, you're going to have better display technology and more people will clue into it. And more people are going to use it. But until that happens, like, 
I, I know that Kindle is massively successful, but it's massively successful. I mean, tell me the last art book you downloaded on a Kindle. Tell me the last Fidon book you bought on a Kindle. Yeah, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> well, have, have, Apple had a product. They, they had those like really trick textbooks that came out with like three years ago or five years ago yeah, when they started releasing their thing, but they were extremely beautiful and well formatted, somewhat interactive, animated pictures, things like that. Did you ever see those textbooks that they did? Yeah, I saw those. What, they were really, really cool. Now, do you think is that what you're talking about? Something, something like that, something in that realm that that would uh, sort of, you know, satisfy you? I don't know. I don't know what would satisfy me on this front because yeah. it's it's also a dedicated device, right? Like, what would satisfy me is really like an iPad that had massively functional cloud sync, and you could say, "Oh, iBooks does that." Well, iBooks is a terrible user experience mm -hmm. and another set of gated fiefdoms. Like it's not really that useful to, to compare because yeah. you can get a one like function system, like a Kindle. And then I, you know, what do you do with it then? Like you have an iPad. Okay. Well, I have an iPhone. I have an iPad mini that's just sitting there doing nothing right now because I got uh, one of the newer iPhones. I got an iPhone 6, not even the Plus. And because it's larger, I find it easier to read on. Mm -hmm. So the number one reason I bought my iPad mini, which was for Instapaper, is gone. Uh, I can type on it, but I can get a Bluetooth keyboard to sync with my normal iPhone. Mm -hmm. So like, I, I frankly... You know, what I want out of a better reading experience is a better ecosystem for reading experience and better resolution displays for it. That's mm -hmm. really it. Like, yeah. if you get those two things, somebody's going to make a store for it. Somebody's going to make gangbuster sales on it, but it's going to take making, and I'm going to be, I'm going to say a number that's going to horrify everyone and make everybody <laughs> think I'm a totally insane crackpot, but at least a thousand DPI display. Because uh -huh. the offset is 2,500. Yeah. You, that's what you're competing with. Whenever you make a book, hold up your nice retina display, turn the brightness all the way down, and hold up a book next to it and try telling me. You can't. Yeah. You just can't. Yeah. And, and you do it even now. My, my PDF looks like garbage compared to my book. Mm -hmm. And I broke myself over for six months. Mm hmm. It is not for want of trying. And it's because it's on a display that doesn't do honor to the text. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I don't want to have to increase my glasses prescription over this, man. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah. It's hard enough having a computer job where I have to stare at one every day. Yeah. And I have a Retina MacBook Pro. And it's, it is so like Louis C.K. grade lazy of me <laughs> to say this magical, wonderful laptop that I have that allows me to talk with somebody and I don't even know where you live yep. and, and get a book from him in the mail yep. and, and be able to and, and meet because we did a web design project together, which came because I put up a website. Like the, um, There's 20 layers of magic in what I'm describing. Yeah. And to say it's not enough is... I, I know what I look like I, right. by saying this. But you asked the question, how to improve Kindle. Sure. So, yeah. Um, I think that's what's needed at this point. Like, yeah. get poach some typographers from Adobe or Apple, and and let them get complete carte blanche over the way that text is displayed. Reach out to every major publisher and make them up their game because they have yeah. no idea what they're doing. They're frantically putting stuff on the Kindle store without even realizing that it's doing an injustice to their text, mm -hmm. and it makes me look bad. It mm -hmm. makes all the independent publishers that are listening to this podcast look bad. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you about independent publishing. What? Why did you decide to self-publish over uh, finding a traditional publisher? I had no pedigree. I was clueless, and no one would take me. Mm -hmm. So um, you, did you try? Feebly. Mm. Not really. Mm. If you could go back and do this again, would you try and go? The traditional route? If now that you even have a little more clout? You know, um, I always think about doing that. Yep. This is gonna be a long answer. I, I want um it. yeah, you're gonna get the long <laughs> you're gonna get the long answer. There we go. Um so I when I first published Cadence and Slang, it came out in uh October of twenty ten. Um 
I finally finished the book and like shipped it out then. In February of 2011, I put a very long post that shared all the financials behind Cadence and Slang up there. Uh, and what came out was I ended up making about $48,000 in profit on the book. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Um, then a month later was South by Southwest where I was giving a rather large talk. Because what year was this? 2011. So I gave a talk ago. at South by Southwest in, I believe it was 2011 also. <laughs> well, we probably got drunk at the ginger man together, not knowing. Probably. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, and at that very bar, um, I was taken aside by several of like the more respected people in my field who have written amazing books. Mm-hmm. And I heard the same thing from all of them, which was, that was 10 times more than the highest author advance I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 15 times more than anything I've got. Including somebody from O'Reilly who, in the same breath, was like, Water Right for O'Reilly? Because I think Water Right for O'Reilly was just that's going to be etched on their tombstone because they <laughs> were for O'Reilly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and nothing on O'Reilly, but like that's in their interest, right? They, want, they saw somebody totally kill it with their book and they want in, right? Yeah. So uh, you're not doing it for the money. Um, right. You're not doing it for the creative control either. Uh, and and that might be a boon for you because you might know, not know how to design and typeset a book. I know mm-hmm. too much about how to design a typeset a book for me not to have all of my fingers in that pot, sure. right? So um, that's that's out of the question for me. Um, you might be able to have such a name for yourself that you basically do whatever you want and O'Reilly puts it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen this happen a few times where somebody... Uh, you you look at the cover of a book and it's like, okay, well, it's got the critter on the front and Garamond and whatever. And then you open the book and it's like, oh, wow, this looks like a blog post this person wrote because they got what they wanted. Yep. Um, the reason that I would do it is if I wanted to go all out on publicity and make myself a name. Yep. If I thought I could get... And, and I would only do this if I thought I could like shoot the moon on it. Like yep. if I deluded myself to the degree that I thought I could get on the New York Times bestseller list or something like that, like then we're game. Then we're on for going through a major publisher. But they need to be on board with that notion too. Or, uh, you know, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm never going to do it. So um, towards your point um, about, you know, the benefit of, of making the money there. I think that's, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I got to say, Hey, I'm, I'm New York times bestseller, Nick DeSabato, which has not happened just to be very abundantly clear. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'd be able to do that and parlay my, my career into another level. Mm-hmm. Cadence and slang could never be that because frankly, if I had gone from nothing to that, it would have been whiplash. Mm-hmm. But I'm at the point where I have a consultancy that's independent, that's on track to make about 200K at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what to do next. And that I'm not saying that is the thing I'm doing next, but it's not off the table. And it's only not off the table because I think it would possibly result in me becoming like nationally recognized on a certain topic. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's, I don't have any ideas. So that's pretty, you know, pretty much a non-starter there. But like, um, that's the only reason I could possibly see not self-publishing at this point. Right. I've spoken with a few editors. And in fact, on the show, I uh, spoke with David Moldauer. And uh, one of the things he said that when you go with a publisher, because I was arguing, I, I was making the case that I have a lot of skills like you, like I can typeset a book, I can, I can design a cover, I can do all this stuff. Basically, I can do almost everything, but I can't get myself that visibility and I can't um, get that st- stamp of approval that a, that a publisher can give you that yeah. certain audiences just will not buy from unless you have it. Right. And, um, I agree, man. I think that, that that's the right approach. Um, that if, if those are the things that you want now, now he, he did, he did, uh, shit on, uh, the New York times bestselling list a little bit. Cause he said a lot of that's engineered nowadays. <laughs> um, and you can buy your, buy your way to the top, which is, but at the same time you get that seal also, that's sort of your stamp of approval being on the bestseller list. But um, it's you know I do think though that that that's what you get with the publisher now, and that's what publishers do give you. Yeah, um, it's it's like going on a major label versus an indie. The indie will sure. treat you well, yeah, and the major label will get you on the Billboard list. Mm-hmm. 
And, and I get it. Like, I think that's valuable. But like, also, if you can only buy your way into the bestseller list, then that's every reason to go with a major publisher because they'll buy your way onto the list. Sure. Yeah. They're, they're gatekeeping on two axes there. Yeah. It's validation and eventual success. Right. Right. And, and I, don't, I don't write to get my own personal validation. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't. I don't write to get the warm fuzzies about it. And and frankly, you know, this is going to sound really cocksure of myself, but I also write to a niche. So you have to keep that in mind. I'm mm-hmm. not trying to, I'm not writing a fiction book where I'm trying to to go viral with it. Yeah. Um, keeping that in mind, like I've already sold 3000 copies of the book. I've proven that people are willing to pay for what I write and I did it all myself. Yeah. What? Why? Why would I have to do that? I've seen so many people regret going with publishers of, mm-hmm. of all sizes from, uh, I'm not going to name names, but like small technical book publishers that you've never heard of if you aren't in my industry. And they, they tell me, you know, I should have just hired an editor and had them go at it. Yep. And then maybe had a copy editor do another pass on it. Yep. And... And then put it on Kickstarter or sold an ebook through my website and hooked it up to a PayPal form. You can take money for your book and send out PDFs with about 10 lines of code now. If that with Gumroad. <laughs> that's two lines of code. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I, I don't see the point in it. I really don't. And yeah. and this is again, you giant grain of salt if you're not in my line of work, but like at, this is coming from the, the lived experience of being an interaction designer, making books about interaction design for people curious about design. I've had um, preschool teachers buy my book. I've had um, people in the steel industry buy my book. Mm. I've had just total randos who are like, how did the iPod get successful? <laughs> and and they, they're curious. They're right to be curious. And they want 120 pages about it that's done in a way that's not intimidating. And Cadence and Slaying is not that technical of a book. Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, I don't know. I, I don't see a good reason to buy into that system if I can do it a la carte and manage it myself. Yeah. I'm also a very self-driven person that wasn't abundantly clear. So <laughs> if you want to just press a button and hit print on your book, this process will not work for you. Yeah. It's true. So keep that in mind too. Like I'm, you know, I'm probably saying this to some people who are like totally horrified by the prospect of this. Right. You mentioned Kickstarter. Did Kickstarter play a role in uh, Cadence and Sling's creation? Uh, a little. I, <laughs> this is going to sound so funny. In, <laughs> 2002, I um, ran, uh, I co-ran my college's radio station. And one of the techno shows that I was managing was run by a guy named Charles Adler. And Charles, all we did was talk about music the entire time. We occasionally, he was like, oh, I have a computer's job. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. And because I'm in college and I don't care about anything. And uh, then he dropped off face of the earth because I graduated. I went out to graduate school. And then in 2009, I get an email from Charles Adler that was clearly sent to like his entire address book, like his entire email history. It was <laughs> like, hey, I came out with this website called kickstarter.com. Go take a look. Uh-huh. And what year was and this? 2009. This okay, was April was... of 2009. This was when Kickstarter came out. Early days. Th- he was one of the three co-founders of Kickstarter. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. So this is... You know, I mean, if you just Google Charles Adler, you'll see he was one of the three co-founders of Kickstarter. He's a great guy, wonderful human. Mm-hmm. And um, I looked at it and was like, oh, wow, this is, this is great. Mm-hmm. This looks really wonderful. Um, and it was right around the time that I had an outline for my book together. And so I just put two and two together. Like it, it, the idea for going on Kickstarter literally fell into my lap when the guy who f- co-founded Kickstarter, whom I knew from my college radio station, reached out. And I don't think we've talked about techno since, but we've talked about interaction design a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how that conversation changes. <laughs> yeah. He moved to, he, he lived in Chicago at the time, moved to New York to do Kickstarter stuff for several years, quit, moved back to Chicago. He's doing stuff here now. And just like, it's, it's a relationships game. So like, I, I'm grateful that I 
circumstantially hooked myself to that particular ship. Like, yeah, you know, and I had, uh, I don't want to say a backdoor in, but it was an invite system and it was pretty easy for me to get an invite. So, yeah. you know, uh, well, you, you knew the man upstairs. I knew the man, right? <laughs> and and it, but it was like, that's just how life works. Like just sometimes cool stuff happens or sure. sometimes you fight your way in and it's a little harder. And um, what I, did, I think, yeah. What did Kickstarter solve for you? Did, did you have expenses that you needed to, or was it more of a pre-sale thing? Like how, how did you use Kickstarter at that point? Well, it was kind of a pre-sale thing because the book yeah. hadn't been made yet. Um, sure. And I needed, but but to your end, I I needed $10,000 to print and ship the book. Yeah. So I quoted out what an offset print run would look like for a thousand copies mm-hmm. and said, okay, thanks. I'll be back in six months. And uh, I had about three quarters finished the book at that point. Right. And I launched the campaign and said, hey, this book exists. So I'm doing two things. I'm getting the money and testing the idea. Right. And Kickstarter is a very good way to operate in a safe space so that you don't have to, you know, take out a loan on something you don't know will be successful. Like that, the days of that happening don't really have to exist anymore. Mm -hmm. You have a pre-sale that's gated such that a certain amount of demand will tip over, you know. (laughs) I, I definitely think Kickstarter for like nonfiction is, I mean, you say you tested the idea and Josh Kaufman talks about this in, in the personal MBA. It's like, go ahead and just create a website or start a Kickstarter campaign um, and see if you can get funding. If you can get any pre-sales, then you know you've got a solid idea. And instead of going and, you know, opening that yoga studio down the street and investing all of your life savings into that idea, just put up a website that targets the, you know, your neighborhood and see what happens. And I, and I think uh, as a model for testing um, that Kickstarter is quite good. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. yes. Um, I mean, Chris, Christopher Alexander says this. He's like, instead of building a chair into the wall where you think it works, take a crappy folding chair, place it where you want to mount it, shift it around to meet your needs. And when you find yourself not shifting it around anymore, bolt the chair in. Interesting. And then you know it'll work. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you know, I, I feel like all of my work in my career is throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and wondering whether it's going to stick. Mm-hmm. Well, that's and, the experimental mindset, right? Yeah, yeah. I've succeeded twice in my 10 year career to yeah. the degree of cadence and slang. And it's cadence and draft revise, which is a different service that I run for my consultancy. Mm-hmm. And those are the only two things I've done that have worked to that degree mm-hmm. and that they become something I've been known for on the order of years. Mm-hmm. And I'm very grateful for that. Some people don't have that number of successes. Some mm-hmm. people don't have any. Um, but like how many other things I must have started and stopped dozens. Yeah. I'm, I'm In with the you intervening there. time between cadence and draft revise, at least a dozen. So what's the story behind draft draft revise? Uh, Draft Revise is a it's a monthly A/B testing service for uh, I run an interaction design consultancy, so it has nothing to do with publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, I run A/B tests on various people's websites on a monthly basis, write up reports, come up with new ideas, mm-hmm. and that's it. Um, I take all of the work out of your hands as far as slowly iterating and improving your website, mm-hmm. and I charge you monthly for it. Yeah. Have you given any thought to how an author could possibly use your service uh, and A-B testing? Um, I work with some e-commerce companies, uh-huh. so sure. Uh, the same principles would apply. The only thing I would have to say is you'd have to get enough traffic to, to A-B test effectively. And that means you have to get sales on the order of hundreds a month. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say 500 is safe as a low bound. Like mm-hmm. a bad month should involve 500 sales of your book. If you sell five books a month, if there's a long tail of your book sales where you um, you launch and sell like 10,000 copies of your book, which knock on what I hope that happens for you someday, mm-hmm. but then you sell nothing after that, mm-hmm. then that's... You can run a test during that 10,000 person spike, but you also have to keep in mind what kind of demographic is coming in. Mm-hmm. But caution against that. Um, it has to be something with steady, stable traffic. Mm-hmm. It has to be qualified traffic. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So your mailing list um, has a very unique conversational tone. I know I'm shifting gears here, but I'm, I'm oh, curious yeah, about no, this. Oh, yeah, no, no. 
and draft revise is boring. It's fine. You know, draft revise is great. Actually, I'd love to get more into that. Um, <laughs> uh, but we're running out of time here. But your mailing list, though, like I, it's different. It's very different from most of their mailing lists. It doesn't have the marketing jargon and all the other stuff. It's more of just like anecdotal, uh, personal experiences, things that are going on in your life. And um, like, what? Why do you? What made you approach writing like that? Like, why is your mailing list written that way? Um. I don't like most mailing lists. Yeah, me too. I feel like they, <laughs> why? Why don't you like mailing lists? Well, just for those reasons, right? Do you feel like you're being to- talked to or sold to versus having a conversation with, right? I think that's the thing. Yeah. I think you're hitting on it. It's, it's this one-way look-at-me type scenario. And even when they're like mailing lists that are trying to create value for you, where they're trying to teach you something, they have an agenda in mind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have an agenda in mind. Everybody has an agenda in mind. Like you as a listener, you better have an agenda in mind or you're not going to be able to get what you want out of life. So there's that. (laughs) Um, but I have an agenda in mind, but I try and I, I do a very, very, very good job of hiding it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and also not prioritizing it significantly and also occasionally undermining it. (laughs) I do all of those things. Uh Um, and so I, you know, I denotatively have a mailing list. Uh, it is on MailChimp. It sends you automatically. There is an unsubscribe link at the bottom. I have to fulfill can spam regulations. Mm-hmm. I never call it a mailing list. You will mm-hmm. notice this everywhere. If you go to draft.nu slash letters, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's, that's what it is. I say I'm writing a letter to people every week and mm-hmm. it should look like it's a letter. It should look like it's coming in the, like it should look and be worded and phrased like it's a letter coming in the mail mm-hmm. from me in my handwriting. And, and I don't mean like I'm scanning a piece of paper and, and throwing it on my mailing list. I mean, there's, a, you know, I, I get into it. I start talking. There's a text block. There's no logos. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. All of the administrivia is at the bottom of it. So you don't get in the way of anything. It just bumps right into the letter. Um, and the letter can be about anything. It can be about business stuff. It can be about A-B testing stuff. It can be about how draft works. It can be about cadence and slang sales. Um, uh, but about, I'd say, two-fifths of it is just me talking about whatever the hell I damn well feel like. Mm-hmm. I've actually learned some things about Chicago through your mailing list. Good you stuff. learn a lot about <laughs> Chicago, which is where I live for yeah. the audience, uh, from my mailing list. I wrote a goodly amount this spring and winter about the aldermanic elections and mayoral elections in the city because mm-hmm. uh, while it is an odd-numbered year, you would think that mean we wouldn't have the most significant municipal elections in the city's history. Lol, you'd be joking. So uh, <laughs> that happened uh, in the dead of winter, of course, because Chicago. Um, and uh, I write about food a lot. I write about cooking a lot. I yeah. write about my community and my neighborhood a lot. And yeah. And it's that 40% is not something that's like, oh, I need to meet my quota. That just happens because right. I write about whatever I feel like. Right. I launch maybe two or three things a year. And so sometimes you get a launch email. Yeah. Um, well, that, that's what I wanted to get into. How, how critical is your mailing list to say your next book? How, do you, how, how critical do you feel it is? Absolutely critical. Yeah. yeah. It is. And that's the two things that I have to keep in my head all the time, man. And it, and it blows my mind on a consistent basis. I have to have this incredibly like, low-key conversation with dozens of friends. Mm-hmm. And I have to keep in mind that at some point, I'm going to have to aggressively sell to them. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. it sucks. It does. It's so weird. It's a balancing uh, act, man. It's a huge balancing act. And you have to like... What it comes down to is respecting the reader's time. I have to respect your time. And if I'm going to, if I'm going to launch something, I'm going to write it about, uh, about it on my mailing list. And that's how it's going to sell out. Like, because you've spent months building up a relationship with me on different terms. Mm-hmm. Um, like I sold out draft coaching just by talking about my business for a year on my mailing list. Yep. It sold out in two days. Wow. And how many spots were there for that? There were four. Mm-hmm. And that made me $12,000. Right. And I'm still with two of them. That's great. Like it's, and that happened almost a year ago now. So Mm -hmm. like, I I think about how can I respect the reader's time? 
Mm-hmm. What, what excites me to the point where I, if I were at a bar with like you or, you know, some random colleague, I would get really genuinely excited about talking about it. Mm-hmm. And that can be 1600 words about a sandwich that I ate once, mm-hmm. which is still probably my most famous letter that I've sent out. Oh, really? And yeah, it, yeah. People have asked me to make it into a book. It's 1,600 words. I'm not making it into a book. I made it into a zine. That's uh, <laughs> preposterous. How do you know it's popular? Just people replying to it? or It blew up. It got over... Uh, MailChimp said it had an 83% open rate. Wow. And I saw people with like multiple tens of thousands of followers on Twitter sharing it. Um, I looked at the click number. It was very high. Uh-huh. Very, very high. So I, I know that it's successful. Um, people, I knew it was, I really knew it was successful when two weeks after I sent that letter out, I got introduced at a conference as the guy who wrote the sandwich email <laughs> and it got applause in the audience. Yeah, you made it. That's, you know, you know you've made it with that, that happens. <laughs> right? Like I just answered your question so completely that it's not even a thing anymore. That's true. Yeah. No, we're done. Yeah. No, <laughs> we're done. End of podcast. Uh, how, how do you go about growing your, I won't even call it a mailing list anymore, your, your <laughs> thought <Letters> distribution? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I mean, I guest on podcasts and talk about it and mention the URL, I guess. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. really how it happens. It's extremely organic. I mean, mm-hmm. I write I write well and uh-huh. I occasionally in the footer I say, Hey, I'm proud of this one and I'd like you to share it far and wide. Here's a permalink. Gotcha. Okay. That's all I do. And that's on maybe one out of ten. Because mm-hmm. I'm usually not that proud of that many of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that. Yeah, I speak pretty often. Mm-hmm. I write a lot for guest blogging. Mm, yeah, I paste links to friends and ask them to share it on Twitter. But I, I'm way feeble about it, dude. If I yeah. had a strategy <laughs> for sharing it, it would also kill what makes it great. Sure. I, yeah. I love the people. So if you sign up for my mailing list, and I encourage you to, um, yeah. if you sign up for my mailing list, the first thing you get at noon the day after is an email welcoming you and asking you to tell me about yourself. And I read every single one and reply to every single one. Mm-hmm. Um, by hand, it is not a form letter. And um, I love the people that come in and are like, I'm really looking forward to more conversion optimization insights from you. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yep. You know. <laughs> You're walking into the Mall of Cthulhu, man. That is not... That's that's the moment where I like swap up the order of the like three or four letters that I've got queued up and just send you like garbage for like mm. two weeks. I'm like, what? Where's your god now, man? <laughs> that's funny. like, and and it's you're building relationships with people, and it's not like it's not like a very professional, staid relationship. It's like. Just tell me about yourself because you have to connect with people. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, I personally believe that's how you define a, a rich, well lived life is by the relationships that you build with mm-hmm. people. Do it solely around my design career. I'm going to actually want to shoot myself in the face. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you a question What advice does modern Nick today? What would he give to old Nick of yore before endeavoring into writing Cadence and Slang? Um, hire an editor. Mm. <laughs> My editor really helped me. Yeah. <laughs> I had a bunch of people just take passes at the book mm-hmm. and it was incoherent and it shows. Mm-hmm. And for the second edition, I hired an editor and paid her four grand and it was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's the big one. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, don't give up. It so, will define my career, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so self-publishing, number one rule, hire an editor. Now we're not talking, we're talking copy editing or we're talking editor, editor, book editor. Uh, both. Yeah, both. <laughs> yeah. The whole I, mine, wore, mine wore both hats. Yeah. But you yeah. don't have to have somebody wearing both hats. Who's your editor? Her name was Caitlin Tierney. Wait, it's K.R. Tierney. Tierney on Twitter. Yeah, she's mm. great. 
Yeah, she okay. lives in London, uh, travels a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, she was a personal friend for a number of years. Mm. And it's like, hey, I'm looking for editing work on the side. I'm like, you know what? Not only are you good at making sentences happen, but you're also really good at viciously ripping work to shreds. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. Could- and yeah. also, like, I'm, I'm very good at separating personal and professional relationships. Like, I'd go over to her house and just, like, drink on her back porch and never bring up Cadence and Slang while we were in the middle of the editing process. Yeah. You could easily imagine this not being the case, right? Like, <laughs> me coming over and turning it into a business meeting with, like, 30 of my friends all checking their iPhones, wondering where the next party is. But, no. Yeah. That was not the case. Uh, so, yeah, hire an editor. That's yeah. the one piece of advice. Yeah. I think that's I think that's integral to any person who's considering self-publishing. I think that you just got to buckle down, know it's going to cost some money, and just just do it. <laughs> just you do are it. the conductor of an orchestra. That's what it is. If you need to yeah. hire a designer, hire a designer. Build it into the costs in your Kickstarter campaign and suck it up. If you mm-hmm. need an editor, you probably do. So do it. Mm-hmm. And and recognizing your your printer has a role in this too, and mm-hmm. you're conducting all of these people and getting them to do what you need. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. I think that's the, 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 the basic rule of thumb. It's, it's, it's okay. Everything is okay. <laughs> Did you botch a comma on the first page? It's okay. Okay. It's okay. I spelled a the word bag. wrong on the first page of one of my books, and it was, it was mostly okay. It was, it was almost totally mostly okay. <laughs> it's okay enough <laughs> that I feel all right saying this to an audience, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Well, Nick. Thank you for being on Bleeding Ink. I, I, where can people find out more about you? Uh, you can go, if you want, just my personal site, you can go to nickd.org. The business site is at draft.nu. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to sign up for my mailing list, you can go to either of those pages or draft.nu slash letters is probably the most like brainlessly easy one. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to know more about Cadence and Slang, which I've been blathering about for a better part of an hour, uh, go to cadence.cc. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could take a look at the book there. Um, and, uh, I would, you know, you can grab the first chapter for free. Would love yeah. to hear what you think. I would recommend to everyone who's listening to this, if you're going to pursue creating an author website or something of that nature, um, go get Cadence and Slang, read it, familiarize yourself with the principles that are in there because it will, I think it will go a long way into helping you build a better experience to sell books. Would you agree, Nick? <laughs> I, I would agree. And, and that's, very flattering. Thank you so much, oh. and a total honor to be on this podcast. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. I want to thank you more than you're thanking thank, me. Thank you. <laughs> thank you harder. Thank you times a million. Dang it. <laughs> All right. For more episodes and giveaways, head over to www.bleedingink.fm. That's www.bleedingink.fm. If you want to help me out even more, you can go check out my book, Modern Rituals, The Wayward Three, on Amazon today. And also, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a software guy and I make tools for writers. Check out jslauthor.com. That's for J.S. Leonard, jslauthor.com. There you can sign up for my mailing list, get free tools, and all kinds of awesome stuff. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.